my last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Forgot how to spell my last name for a second. <laughs> um, Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello and welcome. Um, this week, we are talking about a lot of things. We're talking about the Oscars, and we're talking about the new movie. I don't know how new it is, actually, because I don't think it, I couldn't find it anywhere in theaters. We're a little behind. Movie Serenity. <laughs> that is a month old, but uh, I just saw it, and we really, really, really want to talk about this. Um, so those are the two things we're going to cover today. But before we get into all that, let's introduce ourselves. So the Oscar again, again, the Oscars just wrapped up, and we are going to be talking about it. But there were so many movies um, that were kind of part of that conversation that came out early last year. Um, and here we are early 2019. So I'm curious, are there any 2019 movies that you think will be part of next year's Oscar conversation? Well, my name is Sandra Amstutz. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm a social media manager. And, um, I've only seen two 2019 movies so far this year. So I'm way behind what my normal movie watching is. I'm like giving myself a break. And of those two films, I really highly doubt either of them will be in the Oscar <laughs> um, talk. One of them is the Netflix Fire documentary, Fire Festival documentary, and the other is one that we might talk about a little bit later in the episode. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I. It, it's interesting. I. I also have only seen a couple 2019 movies, mostly because most of them don't look good. I mean, and, and I feel like that follows kind of the normal standard of January and February. You get kind of the movies that people are dumping, trying to get rid of before um, things pick up in March and April. But I feel like like last year we had Annihilation. Um, and Black Panther come out in February. Paddington 2 came out in January. Yeah. Um, like a lot of big movies came out early in the year. Uh, I, I think yesterday, I think last year was, I feel, I feel like with this Oscar season, people talked about how bad it was, but the year itself for movies last year, I think was really, really great. And I was really excited about it. I think we're about to be getting some of those films or some of those films have just come out, such as like How to Train Your Dragon 3 just came out. I don't know. I don't know that um, Jordan Peele's new movie Us is going to be an Oscar conversations, but I th- definitely think it's going to be like a thing to talk about, and that's coming out in March. Definitely, I think March is going to be the big month this year yeah. versus March is February where we get back to year. movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, well, let's actually get into it. Every episode, we like to talk about something we've either discovered or rediscovered. So, Sandra, what are you feeling this week? This week, I'm feeling the new Netflix series, The Umbrella Academy. Uh, like I said earlier, last year was a big movie year for me. And so this year I'm like giving myself a break and not going to see, you know, two to three movies every week. And I'm kind of focusing back on television. Um, So I'm starting off with The Umbrella Academy, which is a new series on Netflix based on a comic book that I've never read. Um, It is about... It's sort of I I'm pitching it to people as X Men meets the the kind of storylines of X Men meets the tone and and style of Royal Tenenbaums. It's about this group of 
people with superpowers who, as babies, were all adopted by this crazy billionaire. Um, And they were raised together in this house to become superheroes. And now the movie is about them as adults, and they're all kind of estranged from each other, and they have to come together and, and, and work things out. Um, for plot reasons, and and so it, it, we get fl- we get a lot of it is set in the modern day with them as adults having issues with each other, but we get a lot of flashbacks also to them as children and what life was gr- like growing up it, with a crazy rich um, billionaire as a sort of pseudo father and um, having these powers and having each other as adopted brothers and sisters. I was going to say, I'm very interested in this. I've seen the trailer for it and it looks awesome. Um, I, it looks very different from other like superhero shows that you would get on something like that. Totally. And that's one of the reasons I'm so drawn into it. There's a lot of, I'm only halfway through the season. Um, and I really want to talk about it again once I finished the season and see what my final thoughts on this show are. I'm really liking it so far. Um, there are things about it that I love, and then there are things about it that I think um, are a little frustrating. The things that I love, are, number one, the characters are fantastic. Um, like, what I love about it, it, how it's like the X-Men, is that you have all these different levels of powers and different types of powers, um, and how those work together or, like, don't work together, and as well as different personality types. These are all, these people are brothers and sisters by adoption, um, but they come from all different parts of the world, or were born in all different parts of the world, I should say, and they all have very distinct different personalities. And seeing those things come together and clash is really fun. Um, So the the characters are, I think, the best part of the show. This other part of the show that I really love is the tone and world building. Um, The sets are really interesting. The tone of this world that we're in is, um, it's like technically modern day, but something feels a little off about it. The way um, everything is set up feels like it's in a comic book world and not the actual real world that we live in. Um, That's kind of the difference I, I feel in this versus something like, um, the Marvel movies, which feel very much like they're living in the actual world. Um, it's just a world with superheroes, but it's still our world. This one feels very fictional and fun. Um, and so, so seeing these parts of the story where it's about um, these characters that are that have issues with each other as a family, and for plot reasons, they all have to start interacting with each other again. Um, that's my favorite part of this show. However, there are some side plots. There's a lot of plots happening so far that I find very (laughs) boring and uninteresting. Um, there's sort of an apocalyptic side plot that's happening that... Well, there always is in a superhero something. Sure. That, like, not all the characters are involved with yet. Only, like, one or two of them are involved. And so, whenever we're going back to that... I find myself like being really annoyed. Like I want to get to the juicy relationship stuff and less so the like, Oh my gosh, maybe the world is going to end stuff. Um, yeah. So 
I'm really interested in how the season concludes and how it brings all of those characters into that plot and whether it's satisfying or not for me. But so far, I'm really loving it. That's awesome. I'm definitely excited about it. It's definitely something I'm going to check out. But yeah. That's Umbrella Academy on Netflix, correct? Yes. Um, well, I have been traveling a lot, and for the first time in I don't know how long, I have watched live TV because it's in a hotel room, and there's not a, a lot of, there's not a lot else to do. So I have been watching movies on TV with commercials, and i got to tell you, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> it's very bad. <laughs> um, but it also gave me the chance to watch movies that I wouldn't expect or choose to watch just because, hey, it's on. Um, one of them being National Treasure, which i got to say is a fun movie oh. to re- – to revisit, but also there are some very rough things in that movie. <laughs> and I'm sure. like, well, that one, you would not get away with that today. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But the movie I want to talk about is Tangled. Um, this movie, I know I am like 10 years late on this. This came out in 2010. <laughs> this movie is brilliant. It's amazing. And I absolutely love it. Um, I've seen it before, but I, revisiting it, again, in a hotel room with commercials, yeah, the best way to watch a movie, is incredible. It's... <laughs> It is one of the funniest Disney movies ever, um, and I, I, I talked about this on Twitter, but people compared it to Frozen a lot, and I saw both of those movies once, um, but seeing Tangled, Tangled is, I think, way better than, than Frozen on a story level, on a character level. Um, for those who don't know, I feel like everybody has heard of Tangled, but for those who don't know, it's the story of Rapunzel um, and her meeting up with um, some dude who tries to rescue her. Um, so Zachary Levi and Mandy Moore absolutely fantastic um the animals in this movie uh pascal the what is he a chameleon um and maximus the horse uh some of the best physical comedy i've seen um there are a bunch of frying pan jokes which are just brilliant absolutely brilliant i i love this movie and i (laughs) you've i'm assuming you've seen this oh i've definitely seen it um okay yeah this is such an interesting piece of disney history i think because yeah um it, it's one of their first Disney princess movies in a, in a while that they had. You know, we went, I think, a mm-hmm. long period without an, a true Disney princess movie. And then they sort of brought in this new era of princess movies with Tangled. Um, Tangled, I think, is one of Disney's most expensive movies that they ever had to make. Like... The budget, mm. the budget for making this film was like through the roof, and it's why we'll probably never see a Tangled sequel, or because like <laughs> it did not like the the amount of money that they had to spend to make this movie was insane, um, and it's really interesting to me that that this movie was like such a struggle to make, um. Didn't do bad, but also didn't do good enough to justify how, how like, enduring it was. Um, and, yeah, I just find it very interesting, this, like, chapter that, again, wasn't considered a failure, but definitely isn't considered a success. Right. I feel like, again, not having been caught up in, in it until now, um, I feel like it just kind of got swept under the rug. Like, it came out, everybody was like, all right, this is fine. Let's move on. Well, um, and here's my biggest theory is that, like, the music in Tangled isn't great. Like, it's not yes, bad. correct. But it's not great. And that means a lot. Like, that, mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, a Disney movie catching on and really embedding itself in the hearts of children and the general public, the music really matters. Yeah. Sadly, it might matter more than the actual story. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
for 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 a kids movie like that. But yeah, and I I do think that's where where Frozen succeeds is just very killer. Um, catchy songs. So. Yeah. Although I have to say, when I saw you tweeting about this, I wasn't the least bit surprised that you would be like head over heels for this movie. Because <laughs> I just feel like you have a thing for Zachary Levi that is like undeniable. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I absolutely adore him. Yeah. I, <laughs> I am very curious about Shazam because sure. that does not look good at all. But <laughs> yeah, I love most things that Zachary Levi is. Yeah. In. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, let's move on. We've got a couple trailers that came out in the last couple weeks that I do want to talk about. Okay. So, so starting off, Rocket Man, um, the Elton John movie. We saw a, kind of a teaser trailer before, but this is our first real trailer getting a, getting a look at kind of what this movie is. Um, I think a lot of people have compared it to Bohemian Rhapsody just because, I mean, it's a biopic about a very famous gay musician, um, and I don't know. It's coming out now, so yeah. Um, what do you? Yeah, have, what, I seeing the trailer. I think it is going to be completely different and a million times better than Bohemian Rhapsody. So I'm I'm ex- really excited for it. I'm in. Yeah, I'm very very much in. Um, everything that I've seen come out about this movie sounds great to me. Um, the first teaser trailer we saw, I was so in. The more that comes out, I'm even more in. Um, A lot of people are also concerned because the director of this movie is the guy who was called in to direct the final two weeks of shooting of Bohemian Rhapsody after Bryan Singer was fired. So, like, not only – so they have somewhat of the same director. So that's also, I think, concerning for people. Um, He directed a movie called Eddie the Eagle that Taron Egerton starred in with Hugh Jackman that is an incredibly charming sports movie that I highly recommend. You know, that was also sort of a biopic and obviously not on the same scale or or tone as what we expect Rocketman to be, but um, still very good. And I've also heard an interview with Taron Egerton where he said that Rocketman isn't going to be like a classic biopic, that it's more so a fantasy musical. He says that he's not the only person that's going to be singing, that other characters are going to kind of be bursting into song. And it's going to be, I think, way more exciting. Yeah, I think it's a fun way to do a musical biopic because I feel like I'm tired of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I feel, but I feel like they are very formulaic and, I, and, I, and we haven't seen... I don't know, someone do something different with a musical biopic. We've seen it with other biopics, but specifically a musical one. I'm very curious to see someone break the mold here. And this is the perfect musician to do something like this with. You know, Elton John, Mm -hmm. his whole persona is all about, like, fantasy and high glam. And and so this is the kind of person whose story – deserves this treatment. Um, yeah, plus, yeah, I agree. I have been writing for Taron Edgerton to do a musical. If you listen to all the episodes <laughs> of the podcast. That is true. That is true. he was a singing gorilla in the animated film Sing, where his voice blew me away. And so he's doing all his own singing for this film, something that did not happen in Bohemian Rhapsody. And <laughs> um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm still very in. Awesome. Yeah, I... I'm pumped about this. Um, next up, we have Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. He is rebooting The Twilight Zone. Um, 
and he's hosting it as well. So it the trailer just came out for this over Super Bowl Sunday, yep. so a while ago. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so there's, I mean, the cast is stacked for this thing. You've got Adam Scott, you've got uh, Stephen Ewan, you've got um, Jacob Tremblay, you've got, I'm trying to think who else is in Kumail. this. John Cho. Who? Kumail. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, Kumail Nanjiani, um, who, it's it's incredible. I again, I don't know anything about this other than the fact that all of these great people are in it, um, and I'm excited for it. Here's my problem with it: it is on what is it on CBS All, all Access, Access, whatever yeah. that's called. Yep, which is a streaming service um, that you have to pay money for, um, and I'm not into that. So I don't know if I'll actually be catching up with the show um, until maybe it comes on Netflix because Netflix gobbles up everything after a while. I don't but... think it'll gobble this up. This is like. CBS All Access is CBS's streaming service. Like, they, it's their competitor for Netflix. So, so the, the Star Trek stuff hasn't gone anywhere? No, it's just it stayed like, on. They own it. They are starting a streaming service oh, called streaming CBS All Access. All their stuff, it's not on CBS's, like, the stuff that is CBS All Access. Yes, CBS shows are on CBS All Access, but. CBS. But they're also other places. Yeah, no, they're not actually. Ugh, CBS they've taken them all. Is the only no. Ne- no, no. Here's the thing: CBS is the only network that has never worked with Hulu. That is never that doesn't stream their shows anywhere. Like they are their own thing. So if you want to watch any CBS shows, if you want to watch Survivor, Big Brother, um, The Good Wife, The Good Fight, which is a specific Ooh. only streaming all access show. Now, The Good Wife was on Netflix, though, right? I don't think oh, so. At some point? Really? I don't think oh, so. Gosh. Yeah. Why, yeah. Jordan Peele? Why? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so are you getting CBS All Access so, is the question. Here's the thing. I used to get CBS All Access during the summers because of Big Brother. Um, I was really into Big Brother, and with CBS All Access, you get to watch all the episodes and get to watch the live streams inside the house. So I'd get really into it. I'd pay the, like... 8 or $12 to just have it during the summer, and then I'd cancel it for the rest of the year. So now that summer's coming up, it's something I'm considering. I haven't made a decision yet. Oh, I'm very upset about it. The thing is, it's, only, it's $4 a month versus, like, a Netflix or a Hulu that is, you know, over $10 a month. Um, that's a little That helps it a, lo- a little bit, especially because with something like Twilight Zone, what I'm unclear about is, are all the episodes going up at once? Are they doing it week by week? How many weeks will it be, if that's the case? Because it is something that you could pay for CBS All Access for two months or whatever. Um, watch all the episodes, and then you're done. And that's, you know, an $8 yeah. investment. yeah. Here's the thing, though. I don't like paying for things, sure. so I would prefer them for free. I will say, I mean, there's a big library there. Again, it's not that – it's still not great to sign up for a new streaming service, but they yeah. have um, all the old, old episodes of the original Twilight Zone. They have all I, the old I Love Lucy episodes. They have um, quite a library there of old yeah. – in classic TV that's also really kind of cool to have access yeah. to. Well, I'll say this. I'm out until I hear that I have to be in. So right. Until, we'll, we, we'll... until <laughs> everyone on Twitter freaks about that one Twilight Zone episode that, like, yes. Stephen Yun is in, and we're yep. all like, oh, yep. fuck, I it's, have to go watch it's this. It's going to happen. Yeah. I know it's going to happen. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Last but not least, I do want to talk about the thing that I'm probably the only person in the world wanting to talk about is the kid. This is... 
the story of Jesse James, not the story of Jesse James. This is the story of Billy the Kid. Is that a real person? <laughs> that's, why it's, that's why it's called the Kid. Yes. Do you not know Billy the Kid? Nope. Oh my gosh. Okay, Sandra. This is a western um, about Billy the Kid, who is a very famous Texas outlaw, um, starring Chris Pratt, Vincent D'Onofrio, Ethan Hawke, and as Billy the Kid, Dane DeHaan, who I haven't liked up until I saw this trailer, and now I'm in love with Dane DeHaan. Really? You don't like Dane DeHaan? I haven't like seen him in anything that I like like at all. What have you seen him in? Mm, you know, the stuff that I don't like. Um, <laughs> let me see. Oh, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, a Place Beyond the Pines. Um, okay. What else did I see him in? I saw him in, oh, Chronicle. Oh, I still haven't seen that. Um, mm, yeah, here, it's a good movie. He's wasn't like the greatest. Let in me it. tell Michael you, here's your homework. Yeah. You need to go see yes. him in Kill Your Darlings with Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, I know. I know that. Okay. He's very good. That's at the one that. that I'll like him in. Yeah. Okay. What about what about Valerian? <laughs> I haven't seen Valerian. Here's let me tell you why I didn't see Valerian, and it's a very petty reason. So, um, oh, what's her name that was cast in that with him? Um, the, uh, the model that's now yes, an actress. Yes. Eyebrows. Um, yeah, Cara Delevingne. Um, yes. Cara Delevingne plays his love interest in that movie, mm-hmm. which is so incredibly frustrating because they were. Obvious, they obviously look like they should be playing twin brother and sister. Right, I thought they were. I thought they were. I thought they were. Like, how do you cast Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne in a movie and not <laughs> cast them as like wily twins? Yeah, yeah. That that was a huge oversight. <laughs> and then to see them in the trailer with him like trying to seduce her and like be kind of a Ugh. rascal was like, this yeah. is not the vibe I want from these two. No. And so I never went and saw Valerian. <laughs> Oh, man. Gosh. I kind of well, don't want to, though. It's still one of those things that I, I'm interested in watching at some point. Same thing with Jupiter would, Ascending. Still haven't seen it. it. it Seems like oh, it's yeah, up my alley. Oh, yeah, for sure. If it's on a plane, I will definitely watch yeah. it at some point. So, <laughs> Anyway, this is our episode Back about Billy the Kid, Western. actually. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is going to be good. I'm actually really excited. The trailer is really great. Um, it's directed by Vincent D'Onofrio, which I'm super excited about. Um, Has he directed I, before? Uh, he directed like one movie that I don't think anybody's ever seen before. It's called um, "Don't Go in the Woods," uh, a horror movie, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 pumped about this. I absolutely love. Uh, I love Ethan Hawke, and he plays the sh- famous sheriff Pat Garrett, who you've also probably never heard of. Surely not. Um, who goes after Billy the Kid? Um, I. I think we should watch this movie. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mean you think I should watch this movie? Is what that I, statement means? I mean, I th- I think I think you should watch this yeah. movie, um, and we should talk about this movie because it's gonna be great, this, or it's gonna be terrible, and I'm still gonna love I mean, it. This so. movie looks very good. The trailer, I'm on board with. I think it looks. It's great. a good trailer. Yeah, it's a really good trailer. Yeah. I really like yes. Dane DeHaan. I really like Ethan Hawke, um, and they look like they're playing really interesting characters. My problem, mm-hmm. as you and most people know, is that I really don't like westerns. Um, okay. And as we're watching this trailer, I was like, "Well, could I watch it? Like, it seems interesting." And then they'd show something else, and I'd be like, "Ugh, this seems like another so, western." Okay. Okay. So r- just real quick, we won't get into a tan- tangent yeah. on it, but what is it specifically about westerns? Like, what is the thing that keeps you I away? Think ultimately, it's a dourness that all westerns have. Um, it's a, the stench of death 
is in the air on all of them. <laughs> There's like it all it's always just about like people being like mean or grumpy and people shooting each other and um there's no style there's no like fun <laughs> it's like it's it's just so depressing and frustrating and there's like this like stoic macho-ness to a lot of them that like doesn't do much for me um and yeah they're just aggressive and macho and and like i'm not saying that those things are always those Qualities are always bad in all movies, but westerns just have them all to such a degree that it, they're a turnoff for me. Okay, so like a western rom com, basically a rom com set in the old west, you would be down for. Uh, it's not the setting; no, it's, it's the also tone. The setting, the horses. It's the, setting. the horses I find so annoying. Like there's just so <laughs> many horses in westerns. And, oh my gosh. And it's like the, and, and like the setting just doesn't do much for me. It's like it's all just brown and old wood and dust and <laughs> like nothing about that appeals to me. I don't want to sit and look at that for a couple of hours. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Okay. I've here's here's my goal. I'm gonna find a western that is not any of that. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, that's but the thing. I'm, and here's the thing. I, I'm gonna find one. I, I wanna make it clear. I don't think that I'm not saying that Westerns are all bad. I obviously acknowledge that you can have, like, great films and great storytellings in Westerns. I'm fully mm-hmm. on board. It's just, like, that's not the kind of movie I want to watch, you know? Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got to find my equivalent. I got I to gotta figure out what, what, what genre of movie. That is the other problem is Western is a genre right. as opposed to a setting. Like, everything is a Western genre. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah. here's the I, thing. I get Hell or High Water is that still is that considered a western? That is a western. I yep. liked Hell or High Water, but okay, didn't have horses. It didn't have horses. <laughs> it didn't have like it had more than just like old wood as far as like the locations <laughs> go. Um, I love that. That's what this comes down to. <laughs> uh, horses and old wood. And <laughs> I do think that that was like a little bit more. Um, the writing felt very lyrical in that movie in a way mm-hmm. that really worked for me. Um, okay. And so, like, not all Westerns have that. Some do, I'm sure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's a rough, it's a rough genre for me. Okay, okay. Well, that just tells me that every year that I win the Oscar bet, we're, we're, we're going to have to watch a Western. Yeah, you have, you have a task ahead of you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> In 40 years, you'll have watched all the good Westerns. You'll have gone yeah. through all. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of oh, that man. Oscar bet, Lucas. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about the Oscars. So the Oscars just wrapped up on Sunday night. Um, I would say it's a weird year, very weird yeah. year for Oscars. Um, I, uh, As far as the ceremony goes, we can go through some of, the, some of the details here. But as far as the ceremony goes, it went better than I expected for how – unexcited I was coming into this Oscars. <laughs> um, I thought the ceremony was pretty good. Um, now, how the winners I am not extremely happy about. We'll talk about that. But, um, yeah, how would you feel just about the ceremony in general? You know, I think it's almost kind of like the greatest trick the devil, the devil ever pulled with this ceremony is that, <laughs> like, they had all this controversy and, like, everyone was like, God, this year's Oscars is a mess. So going into it, I truly had the lowest of expectations. Yeah, and because yeah. of that, I had a really nice time. 
Um, I'm quite surprised at how much I enjoyed not having a host. In fact, yes, I, definitely. Part of me is kind of like team. No more hosts for the Oscars now because we didn't need it. It turned out. Now mm-hmm. I think that they made up for not having a host in a few clever ways. Um, and by a few, I mean one clever way, which is <laughs> they had Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, and Amy Poehler sort of open the show with what would have been sort of like a monologue, only instead of a monologue, it's three people. Um, but right. they had them open with <laughs> a trialogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had them open the show with a series of jokes about the movies this year, the entertainment industry. Um, it was very short and condensed. It was a little satirical. It was a little making fun of itself. Um, but it worked really well. I laughed at all those jokes. I love those three women. Um, and that's what I want from a host anyway, is like, get me mm-hmm. in the right mood for the evening. And they did that. Um, yeah. What I usually don't like about a host that was nice to have gone were the dumb bits in the middle of the show that's taking time away from the speeches. Like Mm -hmm. Neil Patrick Harris doing a magic trick or Jimmy Kimmel getting in people off the street. You know, like... Anytime we have street people, I am out. Yeah. 100% out on street people. Like giving food to all the celebrities. You know, those things, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But ultimately, when someone is having to cut their speech short because of... You know, like Brad Pitt eating pizza. I'm not super stoked about that. And so having those gone was fun, was a really big improvement. And you still mm-hmm. had bits that made you laugh. You still had Keegan Michael Key coming down from the ceiling with the umbrella. You still had yeah. um, Melissa McCarthy doing the most amazing costume <laughs> presenting bit, you know? Um, yeah, I yeah, I th- I think if you if you stop focusing on the host, you start to do f- you start to be able to do fun stuff with the presenters. Um and that's really what we're here for is these famous people paired up um doing kind of fun ridiculous thing. Yeah, like the Melissa McCarthy and um oh what's his name? He, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh yeah. Um was that that was fantastic. Um, all of the all of the presenter pairings I thought were brilliant. I thought they were all great. <laughs> and everybody this happens every time, but um you get a you get a presenter that's great and everybody says, Oh, they should host next year. And that's yeah. not what you want to see. What you want to see is just them do a quick thing sure. presenting. Sure. The one, here's one thing that I think we did miss with a host that I personally like, but I don't think it was a tragedy <laughs> to have gone, is when you have a host, specifically a host that is a comedian with a comedic writing staff backstage, um, if something happens during the show, you have someone that can come out, make a joke about what happened, like make it feel fresh and current, and like this is a live event that we're all witnessing together, um, mm-hmm. v- versus everything just being a pre-planned bit. Um that's something that we didn't get. We didn't get like someone like Jimmy Kimmel coming out and making some sort of joke about Spike Lee jumping into the arms of Samuel L. Jackson or right. you know, or whatever other thing that they would want to make a joke about throughout the night. Um, mm-hmm. That, I think, is fun. That's a part of a live event that I appreciate. But is it? am I willing to sacrifice it for a smoother show? I think so. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Um yeah, I, th- I thought I thought it went well. Um, let's talk about the actual winners and losers. All right, winners you're excited about. Oh, oh, easy. I mean, the two most exciting wins of the night for me were Black Panther's um, costume design and production design win. 
Um, yes. Those were both surprises. Those were both, um, I think, incredibly well-deserved and exciting and innovative wins. Um, not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that um, before the other night, we hadn't had an African-American woman win an Academy Award outside of an acting category in 30 years. I think there had only been one to ever do that. And so, right. and then we got two in one night and that's really awesome and exciting. And, um, and it just shows like how talented they are, how like amazing Black Panthers, like world building was that they were a part of. It also made me mm-hmm. really excited about like, the kind of people that Ryan Coogler hires and like yeah. <laughs> what future films from him and future projects that these women are going to work on are going to be like now that they had these Oscars behind them. Um, mm-hmm. It was really, really cool. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the Oscars is getting to see all the people mingle together and just imagine like they're talking about the next projects. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like I saw, um, who did I, I, I saw Jordan Peele talking to uh, what's her name? Um, the, the costume designer oh, uh, Ruth, lady and just um, yeah, yeah 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 and, and in my head i was just like ooh, they're planning something yeah. and so just like little stuff like that you're just like ah this is this is great which is why i'm really glad that they didn't cut out any of these right. <laughs> these these wins like having everything in the show is is i think really important and really fun to see so yeah and they both um, had great speeches um mm-hmm. also i think is her name hannah Beechler or beaker or, uh, i i Mm. forgot how you say yeah, last name. I, but she was yes. the production designer that won. She was also the production designer on Lemonade. And, like, oh. this is just someone whose work I'm so excited to follow throughout the mm-hmm. year, like, throughout the future. Yeah. What if she did the production design on a Western? Just floating that by. What do you think? Maybe? I mean, <laughs> I just don't see that happening, but okay. <laughs> well. I'll have her talk to Sam Elliott. Right. <laughs> They'll work something out. Yeah. Um, I think my most surprising and exciting th- part of the night was, I feel bad for Glenn Close, but watching Olivia Coleman oh. win was incredible. It was so much fun. So fun. <laughs> and her speech is, I mean, she's, she is a comedian, and it's so fun to watch comedians just get up and talk. Yeah. Um, and so, I like, I'm, I... Again, feel bad for Glenn Close. She has worked so hard this year trying to win this Oscar, and... I it 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 somehow didn't happen, but Olivia Coleman, man, is is incredible. So here's the thing: I watched The Wife the night before the Oscars. <laughs> you did. I did. Um, oh. I feel like I needed to be in the know. I feel yep. bad that Glenn Close expected to get this Oscar and didn't. That is, I think, frustrating and hard yeah. to like have mm-hmm. every single critic and like Oscar talker and every poll and betting odds say you're going to win something. So you mentally prepared yourself that you're going to win this. Mm-hmm. And then to not is like, really, I feel bad for that. Yeah. I do not feel bad yeah. that she did not win this Oscar. However, because I think Olivia Coleman's the better role for sure. And the better, like, I think Olivia Coleman deserves the Oscar does not deserve a best actress Oscar. And <laughs> just straight up. It just doesn't. And, I get the idea of wanting to nom- give someone an Oscar after a long career, but it's really annoying in the year that you have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'd much prefer an exciting, surprising win 
over a career Oscar. And I think we got like a really, really exciting moment. I've always said my favorite category of the night is always best actress. The speeches are always the best, no matter who wins, no matter if I'm rooting for them or not. It's always the most magical moment of the night. And that proved very much yeah. true this year. I think this is also the oldest best actress in a long time. Yeah. I feel like true. we always get a bunch of young, young, young women up right. there. But yeah. Yeah, great, great moment. Um, mm -hmm. What were some things that were really frustrating for you, Lucas? <laughs> uh, well, Bohemian Rhapsody winning editing, I think, yeah, was appalling. Um, I get it that they're basically just giving him the award for holding that movie together after Brian Singer left um, and just continuing to make the movie. Uh, but that's a terrible reason to give someone an yeah, Oscar. Participation. <laughs> yeah, and it's not good. Like, the I... I, this was the final movie that I watched before the Oscars, and it is bad. It is so it's bad, and you can tell that, like, the editing is, they're like they. It's like they have one shot, and it's like, well, I have to put this in here because it's the only shot I have, and it's terrible, and it's choppy, and it's, ooh, it is rough. It is really rough. But. Yeah, let me let me harp on Bohemian Rhapsody some more now that you've seen it. Um, yes. I, I, again, when I was watching it, I just kept, and I probably said this before on the podcast, but it felt like every scene in that movie was a cliched scene from a trailer for that movie. Like mm -hmm. there was, there was no <laughs> scene, like in a typical movie, you might have like a big dramatic moment, but before that you'll have scenes of the characters, like getting to the place they're going and thinking and, and moving and living throughout their lives and, and it builds and there's like ebb and flow to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was, there was no ebb and flow. It was all just like coursing, raging waters. Like yeah. it was, yeah. so, there was just no structure or movement to it. It was all just like cliched line after dramatic mm -hmm. moment, after flare after dramatic moment again um and it also felt in the movie before seeing this movie i had no knowledge about the other members of queen i don't know their personalities <laughs> their lives yeah you know yeah. i don't know like i knew nothing about the all movie. i know is that yeah. this movie like was like took a long time to get made because of their involvement like they had to sign off on it and when you watch this movie it's like oh these members of Queen, like, they just wanted to make a movie in which they kind of, like, took to task their friend for, like, some of his shitty behavior and then made themselves <laughs> look like, like, great guys right. that, like, put up with right. a diva. Yeah, they, you can 100% tell that this is made by Queen. Yes. Like, they're in it way more than they should be. And they're like the best. They're, it's so <laughs> Always. biased, it's, and it's like it's so ridiculously biased. If this had been a movie about the band, and we actually saw like them as, as actual characters and what was going on mm -hmm. in their lives, and they were painted as also flawed individuals, um, you can't yeah, just we see nothing about their personal. No, lives. you can't just reference the fact that sometimes they cheated on their girlfriends and then make that equivalent to like all the faults they're putting on to Freddie Mercury. Like, that's yeah. not equal. It was just so disrespectful, I felt. It was it was gross. It was a gross movie. There's a lot that's gross about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll stop ranting about it because every Oscar it won was a tragedy. Yep. It's bad. Don't watch it. There is a Queen documentary on, I think, Amazon Prime that now I'm very curious to see. Mm -hmm. Um 
because I'm I am curious about like how different it is, but yeah. I just don't know much about Queen. So yeah. I just know just about Freddie. Listen so. to Queen, people. Don't watch this movie. Just go re-listen to the albums. It's true. Yeah. You'll yeah. have well, just as that, much fun. I promise. Yep, for sure. Um, and I think the I, okay. I'm I'm not. I, I you you said tragedy. I'm not going to call it a tragedy. But Green Book winning Best Picture. I'm disappointed. I'm annoyed. Um, I don't think it's the worst movie on that I list mean, because the there was Bohemian worst. Rhapsody, and <laughs> I think it's the third worst. Oh, but really? I think Vice is worse. Oh, I think Vice is worse. Yeah. But I yeah I this movie is from a t- filmmaking standpoint. This movie is completely fine. Um, from a political standpoint and from a like social standpoint, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but it's again, I just have so much more hate for Bohemian Rhapsody and Vice than I do for, for sure. this. So. Yeah, that, that makes sense. From a PR standpoint, it's also very bad. Um, yes, for sure. Yeah. And that is, I haven't seen Green Book. It's the only Best Picture nominee I didn't see. Um, mostly just because it didn't look very good to me. And, but to see like the writer of this film, who is the son of the main character, um, win an an Oscar for original screenplay for this, especially after his PR nightmare with like a racist tweet and him not consulting the family of one of the main characters and just a lot of stuff. That was really frustrating to see it win best picture was just sad, but also uh, the preferential ballot system um, I think is just not doing the Oscars any favors and I don't, I don't know what a better system would be, but I'm not super stoked with the results it's churning out so far. Um, <laughs> so that, that's what I'm blaming this on. Um, I'm, I'm also torn because I feel like part of the blame for movies like this and the preferential ballot working the way it does is that we now have a lot more nominees than we used to for Best Picture. And... I like that there are a lot of nominees. I like that we get to spread the love on a lot of different types of films. Because if there were only five movies like Black Panther that deserve a Best Picture nomination in the cultural mindset, um, probably wouldn't get one. You know, Um, movies like The Favorite might not even get one. And and I like that those movies have a Best Picture nomination to their name. However, Mm -hmm. when you have eight or ten nominees the vote is split so much and you don't get a clear deserving winner like we used to, or like I think we used to, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. maybe I think maybe I true. have a rosy view of the past. Um, but so like, well, we did get a moonlight win sure, out of it. We did, we did get a moonlight win. And I will say I wasn't super bummed about shape of water winning. It wasn't my favorite of to win, but it wasn't, a you know, it's still an interesting movie that is like good cinema, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. It's 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 a bummer to see Green Book win. Um, it, it's one of those movies that'll just go down in history as like, wow, what what a mistake, you know? Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man. Well, to end on a high note yes. <laughs> for for the Oscars, um, I won our ballot. So yes. <laughs> by one again. So it's 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 just back and forth by like one right. point every time. Although so. we didn't do very good this year compared to most. We years. did not. We did we did very poorly. Uh, you got thirteen <laughs> um, right. I'm cr- is that right? Yes. And I got twelve yeah. right. Um, yeah, which is bad. Yeah, it's very Last bad. Last year, I think I got like twenty two out of twenty four. 
Yeah, yeah, we were really close last right. year. But this year things this were year all was over the a mess. place in in good ways and in bad ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, um so f- how this works is I get to then choose a movie that you have to watch. Have you um decided? and usually we like Oh yeah, of oh, course I've already I decided. I took a week or two last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I yeah. Um and I we like to we like to look at movies that you normally like the other person normally wouldn't have watched, um, but that we like really love or means a lot to us. So my choice um, is especially coming off an Olivia Coleman win. I am curious. Have you seen Hot Fuzz? No, I haven't. Yes. Okay. This movie is brilliant. I absolutely love it. It's Edgar Wright. Um, this is the first Edgar Wright movie that I ever saw. Um, I, I and it's it is the weirdest genre movie I have ever seen, and I absolutely adore it. It is so well made. It is um, kind of a send up to action movies and horror movies kind of at once, um, and it's very 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 funny. So I and Olivia Coleman is amazing in this movie. So <laughs> I would love it if you watched Hot Fuzz. Oh, Lucas, you're treating me very well this year because I was I so am. certain you were going to give me another western. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I haven't seen this movie, but I love Edgar Wright, and I've always meant to watch these, like, what is it? It's called the Cornet- Cornetto Trilogy, Yes, right? the Cornetto Trilogy, um, yes. I've never watched them, but I've always meant to, and so now I have yes. a really good reason to start. Um, yes, here awesome. we go. I'm Well, I'm very excited about this. Good, I'm glad. I'm just force, forcing you to watch movies you already want or already wanted that's, to watch, which is great. That's so great. So. The, this type of mercy that you're showing will, will really benefit you. <laughs> okay, <future>. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man! All right. Um, well, let, that's that. That's about it for us. What we do want to talk about is the movie Serenity, which came out a month ago, and I just saw, and I have so many feelings about. Um, so, if you're interested, stick around for this. Sometimes we do bad things for good reasons. All right, Sandra. Tell me about this film because you all, all I got from you was you have to see this movie. Don't yes. find out anything about it. Just go see this movie. I saw it opening weekend because I heard there was like a twist in Serenity and I didn't want to be spoiled. Now, this is a movie we had talked about in our in our out section before. Um, mm-hmm. It stars Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey and it looks like sort of a thriller where um, Anne Hathaway comes to Matthew McConaughey and says... Um, I need you to kill my husband. He's abusive. And it's sort of this like noir thriller. It looked pretty cool. And I just, and I love both of those actors. And so you and I were really interested in this film when we saw Mm -hmm. the trailer. Yeah. And it was supposed to come out, I want to say in like October. Okay. Yeah. So then October, and we probably saw this trailer in the summer. So October is coming around. They push it back to December, I think. And so you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Then they push it again to January. Now, when they pushed it to January, both of us went, oh, no. Yeah. Because when a movie is released in January, it usually means that it's not very good. Like, they're trying to get their bad mo- – studios try to get their bad movies out of the way in the month of January when people yes. aren't – Especially when it's pushed to exactly. January from, like, a from like a really prominent exactly. spot. So. so I didn't have high hopes for that for the movie because of that. Then the reviews came out, and the reviews didn't say much about um, the quality of the film. 
they mostly just talked about the fact that there was like a crazy twist. And I was like, well, I want to see this movie anyway. I don't want to be spoiled for the twist. I went on like a Thursday night, like opening night for this movie. <laughs> okay. We can't talk about this movie a lot without talking about spoilers. So before we get into spoilers, I just want to say this movie is getting razzed on. I genuinely love this movie. No, Sandra. Lucas? No. I've seen it twice in theaters. No. I love this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> Sandra, no, I thought I didn't know. Oh, I thought I thought we were going to Oh, no. <laughs> You can have every opinion you want about it. I'm going to be here oh. to argue in favor of this movie because I think it's legitimately very good. Oh, boy. <laughs> this, is, this is a completely different conversation than I thought I was getting myself I into. I it was. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't know if I want to say anything else about it other than that's how I feel about this movie before, you know, before we talk about what the twist is. And, and okay, so as well, soon as I saw it, I, here, here's what I'll say. As soon as I saw it, I was like, whoa, what did I just watch? I think I loved it. Um, that friend <laughs> that I mentioned was also kind of like staying in the theater talking about this film because it's a movie you definitely want to talk with people about after you've seen it. Um, and I kind of like joined in their conversation because I needed someone who had already seen this movie to talk about it with desperately, you know? Um, and yeah, it. It's like it's a thing that once once I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about it that week. I took a friend to go see it immediately, like two nights later. Um, and it's been stuck in my head ever since. Okay. Well, my rebuttal okay. to those who have not seen this movie is it's bad. <laughs> um, the, the trailer is actually really good. I would encourage everybody to watch the trailer. It's a very interesting and good trailer. Um I love all of the performances in this movie, mm-hmm. um, except for Anna Hathaway. Um, I really don't like. I really don't like what she's doing in this movie. Nice <laughs> to my heart. Um, yeah. So I. Yeah. Jason Clark is great. Matthew McConaughey is the sweatiest he's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, and Diane Lane is is great. And I love any movie with Diane Lane in it. I like. I. I don't know what happened to this movie. It it completely fell apart. Um, Stephen Knight. The person who wrote and directed this movie is someone I really like. He did Lock um, with Tom Hardy in the car. He did Eastern Promises. Um, he's behind Peaky Blinders. Um, all good stuff. I don't know where this came from. Um, it's not mind. based on anything. It's just it's, – it's weird. It's so weird. So, again, we'll talk about all this in spoilers, but I would say don't, don't watch it. Okay. Do you, you've seen it most recently, so I would prefer if you would give sort of a brief rundown of what happens in this movie. I'll correct you if you say anything wrong. Oh, yeah. You're definitely going to have to correct me because I – all right. Here we go. Spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No. Crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. Ah, uh, Okay. So this is the story of Matthew McConaughey, who is a fisherman on this What's island his character's name? called. Oh my gosh, I have to look. Baker this up. Dill. His yes. Oh, I can't believe you just know that. Baker Dill. Baker Dill. Matthew McConaughey, Mr. Baker Dill, um, <clears throat> is a uh, deep sea fisherman on this island um, in the middle of nowhere, and he is out, you know, fishing all the time, and um, he has. Um, 
an employee who um, is like his first mate or whatever, and he's out to catch the big fish or whatever, the, the fish called Justice. Um, there's big, and there, there's a big tuna. There's a big it's a big tuna, tuna in the water. That keeps that getting away from him. obviously like this elusive fish that he's always trying to mm-hmm. catch. He can't catch. His, he's named the tuna Justice. He ta- his job is that he takes tourists And that's when you know. Fishing. That's when you know there's more to it. That's yeah. when you know there's more to it than just a fish when he names it Justice. Right. He takes tourists out on the boat to go fishing, um, and meanwhile, he's trying to catch this big fish as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so he can't catch the fish. He, he's, he's, he's losing money because tourists don't want to pay him because he's always after this fish and stuff. Um, so he ends up firing his, his first mate, um, again, because he's out of money and he wants him to go work or whatever. Um, and he makes money by sleeping with Diane Lane? Yeah. Um, he, he makes money a lot I, of different ways in order to, like— pay for gas and to make his boat payments so that he can go catch the big fish. He he sometimes, like, goes and sleeps with Diane Lane and she gives him money. Um, he sometimes, like, fishes at night for a different type of fish that pays well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a, a bunch of little side jobs that he can do. Yeah. So, not a great life. So he's out there, he's doing his thing. Um, and then up shows Anne Hathaway. Well, meanwhile, um, we oh, also see that I'm, he... Oh, gosh. We also know that he's a father. He, like, has this, like, world's best dad. He has flashbacks. Mug. He, like, he has, he kind of talks to his son, and and, and we're like, oh, he had had a son at some point. So, you're like, you feel for that. Um, It's one of those, like, you know the kid died, like, kind of things. Like, it's those kinds of flashbacks of, like, oh, man. (laughs) And And then, meanwhile, we also have this character um, played by Jeremy Strong, guy in a business suit, looking out, like watching and trying to find Baker Dill, and so he's obviously the weirdest out of looking place. creepy dude. Yeah, yeah. On this island, so he's always running after people, this guy in a suit <laughs> yeah. with like these narrow little glasses and a briefcase, like trying mm-hmm. to find Baker Dill. Okay, yeah. Anne Hathaway shows up. The That's dame right. Anne Hathaway walks shows into up. the bar. Yes. This is very much a noir-style movie, for sure. Yes. Um, she walks up. Um, they have these sweeping cameras that are doing absolutely nothing at all, but just all the sweeping time. All the time. It's ridiculous. Sweeping circles around the characters, and yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. Um, so she, she walks in. She's like, hey, John. And you're like, oh, no. His name is John. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out they used to be married. Um, they had a kid. She or did they used to be married or they just they had a kid? Clear. Yeah, they had a kid together. They, were, they used they to be in love couple. at least. They had a kid together. They were a couple. Yep. Um, they're no longer together. Um, she's now married to some rich dude named Jason Clark. Um, he is abusive apparently. And the and actor is Jason Clark. Not he. Right, right, right. He's right, not right, named right, Jason right. Clark. <laughs> just to be clear. The actor, the actor and the character <laughs> named <No>. Jason Clark. <laughs> No. Um, yeah, yeah. She is married to Jason yeah. Clark. Um, he's abusive. Um, she wants Matthew McConaughey to take him out fishing and drop him off the boat. Feed him to the um, sharks for $10 million. Feed, feed him to the sharks. Yes, 10 mil. Um, he says no. Um, he's trying to catch a fish. <laughs> yeah. He's not getting involved um, in her life. She's abandoned No, he's him. too busy. He doesn't have access to his son anymore. He So he's yes. like... Yeah, so it turns like, out the son's alive and she has him, problems. apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so they argue a lot. He talks to everybody on the island about it, basically, because everybody's like, who's the girl? Um, and, I mean, he doesn't tell everybody that he she wants him to kill her. But, Here's the um, thing is. Peop- 
keep keep point. He doesn't talk to everybody on the island about it. Everyone, everyone on the island, everyone talks on the island to him talks about to him, it. Correct, which is a twist. Oh, here comes the twist. Um, yeah. So then he finally agrees to it. He takes. Uh, he meets Jason Clark. Takes him out on the boat. Um, doesn't kill him the first Jason day. Clark's they just talk. Jason Clark's character is revealed to be the worst of humanity. He's like yes, super a rich, terrible person, sexist. He like talks about like having sex with like uh, little kids, like, little girls that are like being you know like sex slaves. He like um, talks about how his stepson is like weird and creepy and like how he's like a dumb guy. Like he he's just like the worst. And in between all of this, we're getting cuts to the kid on a computer just, like, playing, like, video games or coding or whatever. And he's talking about, oh, my weird Um, stepson, you know, like, all he does is sit on the computer, you know. Right, right. Um, So Matthew McConaughey decides he actually hates the dude but isn't going to kill him. So he brings him back and Hathaway is pissed about it, um, is like, hey, day two, you got to do this. So um, his first mate, um, his name is Duke. So Duke is basically like Duke figures it out somehow. I don't remember how. Um, yeah, he just but it's basically like intuition. Yeah, intuition. Um, and it's basically like, hey, don't do this. Um, and he, so he the night Wait, the night on, before it's a big. You're oh, okay, ahead. yeah. Sorry, I got. Oh, I'm missing all the Jeremy Strong. Yeah, yeah stuff, you're missing the I? Jeremy yes. Strong. <laughs> so um, Anne Hathaway is like he, he doesn't he doesn't kill the rich abusive husband on the first boat trip yes and Anne Hathaway is like really frustrated so Matthew McConaughey is going about his life and um (laughs) and all you mean the rest of that day (laughs) all the townspeople are like talking about this guy and this you know woman that just showed up and and Anne Hathaway makes her case to him again she oh yeah she's like you really have to do this do it for me do it for our son um, I, f- I forgot about like all this. There's like this really <laughs> intense kind of fucked up sex scene between Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, and he's convinced. He's like, okay, I'll do it. Tomorrow, we'll take him out in the ocean. We'll kill him. You'll give me my money. This will all be over with. Okay. That's right. So once he's made that decision, Jeremy Strong's character finally finds Baker Dill. He go- goes to his house. He <laughs> At 2 in the morning. Like 2 in the morning. It's raining. And he's and Matthew McConaughey is like, what do you want, dude? I heard you've been looking for me. And he's like, I'm trying to sell you this piece of fishing equipment. And Matthew McConaughey is like, fuck it. It is like two in the morning. I'm not talking about this. <laughs> and the guy's like, no, we really need to talk. So they, he goes inside. He tries to sell him this fishing equipment. And Matthew McConaughey is like, okay, what are you really here for? Because it's like two in the morning and you're trying to sell me fishing equipment. And the guy is like, no, you have to use this fishing equipment. And he gets like kind of worked up and he goes, I am the rules. And Matthew McConaughey is like, um, <laughs> excuse me? And Jeremy Strong is like, I'm sorry, those are the rules. I meant to say those are the rules. <laughs> and Matthew McConaughey is like, you're crazy. And Jeremy Strong then reveals to Matthew McConaughey that their entire world is a game. A video a game. A video game. That Matthew McConaughey is the main character in a video game. And his main character goal is to catch the fish. And there's all these side goals like a video game would have where you, like, bring the cat back to the lady. You go catch, you collect money, you do all these things. But his main goal is to try to catch the fish. And that this 
new thing where you, you have to, he needs to kill this guy is not part of the game. And that he should not do it because it's not part of the game and it's not part of the rules. People don't get killed on this island in this video game. So right. Matthew McConaughey's whole existence <laughs> is turned upside down. He wakes up the next... So surprisingly, he handles it pretty well. <laughs> he certainly doesn't. He wakes up the next morning, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, his eyes are opened. He realizes that like he doesn't have as much free will as he thought. He can't... like He gets to a stoplight and tries to run it and t- finds out that he can't. He... Um, starts examining all his conversations with everyone. And he realizes that everyone in the town kind of like knows everything about everyone, but it's unclear how. And it's just because they're in a Mm -hmm. video game and that's how video games work, where everyone just kind of knows everything. Um, Conversations aren't making sense. He's, it puts him into like an existential crisis. (laughs) He's very drunk most of the time. Yes. (laughs) And Um, very sweaty. And he starts to realize that... While he's been talking to his son, oh, it's also mentioned that at one point in the movie, Anne Hathaway kind of weirdly suggests, she's like, you talk to our son, don't you? He can hear you through our computer. And you're like, what does that mean? Like, and at that point, you start thinking, like, is there a psychic connection between Matthew McConaughey and his son? You know, like, what's going on? And so Matthew McConaughey is starting to put together, Baker Dill is starting to put together, um, that... His son has created his, this video game. Uh, um, or, yeah, or, a person who he thinks is his right, son. <laughs> has created this video game. And now, and once, he, and he thinks, he's like, I think my son wants me to kill this guy. So I'm going to kill this guy. And there's all sorts of obstacles in his way now because the game doesn't want him to kill the guy. Because the game is not built for that. Um and so now it's this new objective, and the game is like, this isn't what we're for. Matthew McConaughey's like, I'm doing it anyway. Um, so some of those objectives are, uh, not objectives, um, obstacles is what I meant to say. Some yeah. of those obstacles are his first mate, Digimon, who doesn't want him to kill the guy because for moral reasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, morality. <laughs> um, he hires a bunch of people to break the hands of the abusive husband so that just the abusive just completely destroy Jason yeah Clark. so that he can't go fishing the next morning right. um, and Matthew McConaughey is like no why did you do that I have to kill this guy <laughs> um, and Anne Hathaway is also like oh no we need to kill this guy <laughs> so when Anne Hathaway discovers that her husband's hands are all bloodied and broken he's like oh he's like in a bad place. And he's, he's super drunk. He's like, and, I can't go yeah. fishing, baby. She's like, she puts on this like act. She's like, no, you're my big, strong man. And you're going to go fishing for me. And it's like this really like creepy, psychosexual like moment. And she like convinces him that even though his hands are broken, he's going to go and like fish. And then Matthew McConaughey like makes it back to the boat. He's like, we're, this is still happening, you know? And... Jeremy Strong's character, who is the rules, he is the programming of the game, (laughs) finds out that Matthew McConaughey knows who the creator of the game is. And is like, wow, if you know who the creator is and you think that this is the new objective, like, go for it, basically. And it's this existential moment that the two of them have about, like, them being in a game and, like, what the purpose of it all is and, like, who is God. And so Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway get Jason Clarke on the boat. And, um... 
Meanwhile, Digimon Houston is like, I'm not a part of this. Like, this is wrong. Um, but this new character, like this kid, is like a stowaway. He's like, I'll be your first mate. Matthew was like, fuck it. What didn't account for you? Like, <laughs> and they get him on the boat and they are like trying to figure out like how are we gonna kill this guy with the kid watching? And they throw out the fishing lines and the abusive husband's fishing line catches the tuna named justice and the the, the tuna, tuna the, the big, big one that he's been trying one. to catch this entire like time all holding it and anne hathaway and matthew mcconaughey is holding on to it and he's like oh my gosh this is it this is the big one and anne hathaway is like how can you be thinking about a fish right now we gotta kill this guy and the husband <laughs> is like kind of out of it and he's like what what's going on and matthew mcconaughey is like you gotta catch this fish man you're a big man you're gonna catch it right and the husband is like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to get it. And he puts the fishing rod in the husband's hands. And the fish is so big that it yanks the husband off the boat into the sea. The husband dies. The kid doesn't know that he's witnessed the murder because it looks like a fishing accident. The game is, the objective is accomplished all as well. <laughs> Okay. So while this is happening, though, intercut with all of all of this uh, this murder yes. happening is the kid in real life at, at his computer picks up a, a, a massive yeah. knife, walks out the door, and apparently goes and kills his actual his stepdad. His actual <laughs> abusive stepdad. And then um, we get this sort of like ending wrap up where we hear these police, this news report about this teenage boy who killed his stepfather, who was abusive. Um, we find out that we see pictures in the kids' room of Anne Hathaway, who is his mom. We see a picture, we hear in the news report that the kid's teacher, who like really cared about him, was named Dylan Baker, who Baker Dill is named after, who is like this hero of his. <laughs> and then we see a picture of Matthew McConaughey in like a military uniform, finding out that like he died in service. Um, and so we see that this whole like world is like this world that this kid built so that he could have like this connection to his father who has passed away. Um, and, and whilst making this world where his father is a fisherman who goes and fishes, um, he gets so caught up in like his mother being abused that he like writes his mother and his stepfather into the game so that his father could kill him, giving him the inspiration and courage to kill his own stepfather. Then the movie ends with Matthew McConaughey in the game making a phone call to his son and his son and him having this conversation about like how it's okay, everything's going to be all right. And then Matthew, and he was like, we'll find a way to like be together somehow. And then Matthew McConaughey sees like the fishing video game world around him, like reconstruct and all these pixels. And, and, um, he sees like his son at the end of the dock and runs and gives him a hug. That is the yes. movie. <laughs> so okay. objectively, I think we can all see that this is bad. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think you have to watch it. I think it's wild. So hearing that plot, you're like, wow, that is crazy. That is a wild-ass movie. I think you have to watch it to understand why I think it's good. Like you said earlier, the performances, yes. I think, are really good. Now, once mm -hmm. you've watched the whole movie, you realize that these are all video game characters. And their performances make yes. a lot more sense. Like, Diane Lane's character speaks in a lot of these, like, cliches. And you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I get it now. Like, she's, like, this cliched, like 
woman on the island that like lives alone, you know? And mm-hmm. um, you get that the setting of the movie is like this noir. And so all the dialogue is co- sort of like a cli- cliched noir dialogue because it's in a video game mm-hmm. where that is like the genre of the video game. Um, and Matthew McConaughey's character, Matthew McConaughey's performance as a person who realizes he's a character in a video game and is having an existential crisis, I think is excellent. I think it's so I agree. good. <laughs> now, you don't like Anne Hathaway's performance in this. I adore it. She is playing just like, she's playing the femme fatale, damsel in distress, like archetype to a T. And I think she's so good at it. And she just like really I... knows what kind of movie she's in. If everybody else felt like they were in a noir, it would it would work. But she's the only one. And I, I don't think it's her fault. I just think it's like that like she's truly the only one in the noir. Everybody else is in something I think else. Clark is but also his character is very much in a in a noir. That that is true. Their scenes together work well because they fit. But her talking to Matthew McConaughey is off because she's doing the yeah she's doing the noir thing he's doing the the southern fisherman think, thing and it, it thing. is not i think he is also doing the noir thing i think it's a little sometimes confusing because he has like this southern fisherman character but it's a southern <laughs> fisherman character and a noir like his actual lines of dialogue are very noir lines okay you know what i mean he just has the southern accent and we're not used to that in like a noir setting um, we're also not used to fishing being in a noir setting. So it's, like, it's just like blending. <laughs> it's also lot. super bright. Yeah. It's bright and it's sunny and supposedly so noir. That, I, I, yes. I will give you it that that is like a confusing tonal shift, but I, it yes. really works for me. Um, it's like you said earlier, if you like combine a rom-com and a Western, those would be some tonal shifts that would maybe make a good movie. <laughs> to me, this made a good movie. So like, I'm, Super, I defend all of the acting choices. Um, <laughs> okay. And um, this movie is also, like, twisted. Now, what we really didn't get into is just, like, how, like, psychosexual this movie is. Um, and I'm not going to, def- like, stand by, on a moral level, I'm not standing by all the things <laughs> that this movie does. On an entertainment yeah. and, like, me being into it level, definitely. Like, Watching it, I was like so the scenes with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway into the scenes where she's like manipulating her husband, super into um, the styling choices of Anne Hathaway's character, super into um, very, very. Into. But the story makes no sense. Here's, it makes no here's sense. What I will say you're wrong about that. Do you, are you saying you don't like the story? Are you saying there's plot holes? I mean, plot plot holes are fine. I don't. I'm fine okay. with plot holes in movies. But the the story itself, like the character motivations, truly don't like make any who's? sense. Like this. So this kid created this video yeah. game of his father fishing. So here's and uh, here's where I'm going to admit the movie's failures and how they don't bother me. Okay. So there are some things in the movie that I don't think are fully explained or explained well that I think you have to infer and I have kind of inferred a lot to make this movie as good as it is in my head okay 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 (laughs) tell me all your inferrals so one inference that I've made is that I don't think this kid created this video game I think he took a real video game and did a lot of modifications okay 
I just don't think that like this kid created this video game from scratch because that means he'd have to like write out all of that dialogue and create a lot of graphic. It's like a lot of work to create a video game from scratch. Yeah. scratch. So I yeah, think what he did is he took a classic fishing game, okay, uh-huh. that was already created, and now he's been doing all these modifications for his own purposes. So one of the main... Mo- Originally inserting his yeah, father. So the main modification I think that he made was that he made the main character his father named Baker Dill. Okay? So he made it... And why is his name Baker Dill? Because he liked a teacher at school yes. <laughs> named Dylan, Dylan Baker. Baker. Yes. Which is ridiculous. Yes. So he... So to have this connection with his deceased father, he's created this main character in the video game in the image of his father so that he can like play this video game and spend time with his dad. That makes sense to me. Okay. Very, very tragic. Makes sense. Yes. Um, Yes. Okay. So then, so all the other characters in the game, I think are just like real characters in the original game. All right. Now. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Then one day after like having to live in this household where his stepfather abuses his mom all the time, um, he is working in his head like I'm like I want this guy to die. Like he wants to live vicariously through his fa- his video game father character. So he <laughs> writes into the game his mother and his stepfather with this mission to kill the stepfather. Okay? And now the video game rejects this because like this isn't part of the original game. Like the code right. is rejecting this. Now this is where, again, this is something I've inferred. I don't think this is spelled mm-hmm. after the movie, but it's something about the logic of the world of this movie that I have decided that I think makes the movie very interesting and good, okay? <laughs> to me, this video game world, I think there's a lot of questions about, like, how does it work? Like, free will is a big part of the question of this movie. You know, like, how yes. much of these yes. characters, how much free will do these characters have? Um, so to me, you've got to look at this movie as sort of like Wreck-It Ralph, okay? In Wreck-It Ralph, the characters, like, they have to do their video game things, like whatever the person playing the game, whatever their programming makes them do, you know? But they also have some level of free will that they, like, fill out their storylines beyond when the video game is being played. You know, they have relationships with each other. They have dialogue with each other. They do things outside of what the game's objectives are. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the same with these characters, except they don't, unlike Record Ralph, where they know their video game characters, these characters don't know their video game characters. So, like, when Baker Dill ha- has to go, goes to, like, fuck Diane Lane, um, in the video game, it's called, like, bring the lady her cat back. And, like, Jeremy Strong mentions that. Like, one of the objectives is, like, bring the lady her cat. In the video, in the original video game, she's paying him because he brings her cat back. But in the world right. where these characters have free will and that are, like, their own relationships and inner lives, these two people are, like, having sex with each other. So I don't think in the game they're having sex. I think in the world, in, like, this free will world these characters are having sex does that make sense okay it makes sense it doesn't matter (laughs) i think to the story but i think it like matters i think it very really yes how i'm gonna get there okay so okay these characters have some level of free will 
where they like interact with each other and have their own inner lives. Okay. Which is why Matthew McConaughey's character goes into this existential crisis. If like he didn't have any of that free will, he wouldn't matter, you know? Um, So this boy is adding these characters into the game and the characters in the game without even realizing it are actively working against the idea to kill this guy because it's like built into their programming that that's not supposed to happen. Right. It's not the right. objective. So they don't realize that's what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. Okay. Where was I headed with this? <sighs> no idea. <laughs> Here's why I think it matters, ultimately. is because things get real creepy when you start to think of the idea that this teenage boy is programming all of this stuff to happen about his own mother. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, that is extremely okay. creepy. But what I'm arguing, though, is that he's not programming all that stuff. He's programming higher level things like i just want my mom to bring this guy to get killed he's not programming all the psychosexual stuff once he programmed his mom and his stepfather into the game they became their own characters with like inner lives and free will to an extent that and that is like resulting in all this like sexual stuff that's happening all this sexual language um i don't think he's like programming his mom character to like say all that stuff you know what i mean and i think that's important because I think when people are it is watching this game, they're thinking, wow, this is really fucked up. This teenage boy programmed his mom to be this kind of character. And I don't think he did. I think he programmed his mom to just be a character that fit into this game. And that, like, all the creepy stuff that happens is stuff that, like, her video game character self, like, manifested. Got it. That's my big thing. And I think when you think okay. about the movie in that lens... That, like, these characters it, all have these inner lives that are manifesting that the video game player doesn't realize. I think that's really interesting. And I think it asks a lot of interesting questions about, like, who our creator is and how much free will we have and what is destined versus what isn't and how much can we control our fate and that kind of stuff. I think it makes it less creepy. I don't think it makes it good. Because what I think my big issue is we're building up to this point where the kid kill in real life the kid kills his step his right. stepfather that's what we're building up to and yet we ne- the kid doesn't talk the entire movie like he never says yeah. a word and so we don't know this kid we don't know that he's a character uh-huh. even like that he's that he matters until really right up until right before he kills the stepdad um is kind of and so we're not we're not connected to him at all so i don't know like it feels like for him like he is kind of like supposed to be like the second main character behind, behind Matthew McConaughey you know as as, as far as like importance that, that you're mean, supposed to feel for I don't feel that way but okay I mean I mean I mean but like from a from like a story perspective like that's what that that's what we're rooting for him like we're supposed to be rooting for him we're supposed to be rooting for Matthew McConaughey all throughout yeah. and we're supposed to be rooting for this kid to kill his stepdad right um here's the thing like sort of I don't know that that's like I, I you could say yes let's just say yes okay I because I I didn't I I wasn't rooting for that the whole, the whole time. It was just kind of came out of nowhere of like, oh great, he's gonna kill his stepdad. Interesting, awesome. And then it and then it happened and it's over. So I didn't like feel for that. I didn't I didn't like have that emotional connection to that because I'm sitting here with Matthew McConaughey and and um and Anne Hathaway, which I thought was important, yeah. but apparently is not important at all because she just disappears after that. I mean, it and it's is gone. important though because here's the thing. <laughs> to me, this that. The real life story of this uh, this teenager killing his stepdad is mm-hmm. only important because 
it affects the video game. To me, the video game, those are the main characters. And, like, their relationship to their creator is the main story. Um, and, like, this revenge plot is part of the story, but that's not, like, the story that I care about. Okay. And like, Is there supposed to be a metaphor? I'm not real. I mean, the metaphor, obviously, of, like, creator and God and that kind of stuff. But, like... But, like, what is the metaphor, though? Like, what is what is, what is it saying about about God or creation or any... Because I couldn't figure that out either. Here's, here's what I think it's saying. I was like, yeah, he's supposed well, to be God. not but. so much God. I don't think he's actually supposed to be God. I think he's supposed to be, like, a God-like figure. You know what I mean? But Right, right, um, right. It was very Black Mirror to me. Like, I think if this was, like, a Black Mirror episode, everyone would be, like, losing their mind about how good it is. Um, mm, I do not think that's so, true. So, <laughs> to me, what it, what it... I'm not saying that there's a metaphor. I'm saying what I like about this movie is that interesting questions it makes us think about the way when we watched toy story for the first time and we thought about like whoa what what if all these like inanimate objects actually have like deep personal inner lives you know what i mean you watch toy Mm -hmm. story you think whoa what if every toy and every like thing i own has its own story and personality okay um what if there's like a whole other world that i'm unaware of that's what this movie made me think about for, like, video games and, like, AI. Like, when we're creating these worlds and these characters and these pieces of artificial intelligence, no matter how, like, advanced or unadvanced, um, are we creating consciousness a little bit? You know, are we creating levels of consciousness? Are we creating these characters that have thoughts and feelings and and inner lives and workings and um, motivations? And... It's really interesting to think about, like, are we creating that slash what if we are all also, like, just characters in a video game that someone else has created? You know, like, that's not that's not a new theory. That's not a new idea. But it is a new, interesting way of looking at that idea to me. Right. Yeah. I think I think it I. I think that would be interesting if it were told differently. I, I just think that like, we didn't get enough connection to that that's idea. Fair. Early that enough. is fair that this movie, like, I'm not saying this is a perfect movie. It definitely is obviously no, very yeah. flawed. But I yeah. think it's super interesting. And I think it's, I think it gives you enough information for your imagination to really run wild with, like, the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And that I appreciate. And well, and I think it's... Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's, like, <laughs> a really interesting analysis of, like, grief and, like... Being someone who, like, lost a person and, like, how do we try to recreate our loved ones? Like, through what means will we go to have See, some rec- if it had if it had focused on that yeah. theme, I think it would have been really yeah. interesting. But it had way too many things going on for that to sure. be, like, for that to bubble up enough. Because that's, that, I, I do think, is more interesting. Yeah. I think but. the ending was, I thought, really touching for me. That this, like video game character that has like a soul of some sort and this real human that has a soul have this like deep psychic connection to each other um and like that that is still something that is real and meaningful versus you know like just because they're not like both human beings that like have that live on the same reality plane doesn't mean that they can't be like have a deep love and connection i thought that was cool well i'm glad you liked it thanks (laughs) <laughs> I literally will probably watch it like two or three more times this year. I think it's oh, so good. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I got to find a terrible movie that I like that you're going <laughs> to okay, hate. Okay, great. And, and we'll we'll talk about that great. next time. <laughs> All right. All right. This yes. was fun. 
Yep. Let's wrap it up. Um, Sandra, where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find all of my social media accounts at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Forgot how to spell my last name for a second. <laughs> um, go, go look at my Twitter or Instagram to see my fun Oscar-themed food that I spend a lot of time making. Yes. Yes. That is truly awesome. I Yeah. I, we, we should put a link in here because that is... It is truly a work of art. The amount of puns that you have come up with for the um, for all of the the Oscar names and everything like that. It is it is truly magnificent. Thank you, thank so, you. Yes, um, I my you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff, um, and you can find us together on Twitter at Feeling It Pod, and you can send us an email at feelingitpod at gmail.com. We will see you later. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon. Okay. That's it. Go home. Yep. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.